Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag. And I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right? I mean, no, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays a means floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get a mean in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Tom, what is your most lethal food allergy? Okay, I don't have an allergy, but it's acorn squash. Um, when I was a kid, for some reason, it made me gag. And my mother served it to me. And ever since that, I can't have acorn squash. I don't think cilantro counts in this category. It's not. It's more of an aversion than an allergy. What about you? My allergies are psychosomatic. <laughs> they, are, they are not medical. And it is cilantro. <laughs> This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haverstrow. Tom, episode four, we go to Tottenham. We go to Tottenham, the English Premier League, gets its due on Top Chef. This made me very excited because I was just in Tottenham four weeks ago for a match against Chelsea, my first ever English Premier League soccer match. Uh, But I also, once again, I think the show 
in season 20 really love the challenges. Just I yeah. like the structure of this show. They're doing a great job um, with, with, with quick fires. They're doing a great job kind of structuring the elimination challenges. It's exciting. I, this is a this is a this is one of the more exciting week to week seasons in recent memory. Just just I, I, that's kind of my overall impression right now, setting aside the food and the and the cast. I, I just like the way the show is structured. Do you think part of it has to do with the longer episode that they feel yes. like they have a little bit more room to play around with? Without question. Without question. And and this is sort of, you know, uh, obviously when the show started, we were talking about linear cable or, you know, linear television and you had one hour and then everything had to get hand over to um, the next show, but now because you know so much of the of television is, is is not programmed for a time slot, they can just do what they want, and and I think you're seeing that we they get more time. They can go. They don't when you especially when you have especially at this point in the season when you have 14, 12, 13 chefs, you can just kind of breathe. And if it takes that long, it takes that long, and and we'll still get our ad dollars, and we'll have longer episodes. And I think the endurance you could feel the endurance contest that was the elimination challenge where it's like hey if you didn't win the first one you got relegated you had to cook again it's really intense and then if you lose that you got to cook again and i do think the longer time slot is without question to me probably the, the number one factor and, and why these episodes are so compelling yeah the, the structures have been fantastic and it does take a lot of planning it, it goes to show that this this top chef empire like, it's not just let's throw a bunch of celebrity chefs together and see what happens. They went a lot of thinking to have the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, the the relegation style structure that was very well thought out. Um, a little bit of a bone to pick on the structuring, but we'll get to that later. Oh, and then on the, the quick fire, the quick fire, um, I liked the biscuit challenge. However, the savory and the sweet, I don't know if it made all that much sense to do two cookies. It seemed like a nice challenge to get both of their um, offerings, but I kind of felt like, I don't know, it seemed seemed a little bit much. So I thought like if you could have done one biscuit uh, and nail it like a biscuit centered dish that it was the star of the dish I probably would have felt better about it it seemed like it was a lot to do in 45 minutes and i don't know baking two cookies two biscuits in 45 minutes and that was the time constraint right i feel like it was 45 i believe it was 45 it just see it just seemed too much and maybe maybe i'm being too soft here kevin that uh doing baking two 45 two biscuits in 45 minutes two different flavor profiles one sweet one savory this this is an amateur hour i get what you might be saying but i just felt like it was um i don't know it did it didn't light my hair on fire no i mean to me whatever's left of my hair i i think i think we might be missing the big one here which is the quick fire was amazing and it was amazing because of pastry chef paul a young because you should always as your quick fire judge have a pastry chef and a forest green velveteen blazer blazer with a Yorkshire accent who is mortally offended by anyone who departs from the assignment or tries to pass off a cake as a cookie. Like, oh like to me, they need to bottle whatever Paul Young did. Like I want this is this is why I really like the show this season. Right. Like they weren't trying to not hurt feelings. Like, this is a guy who lives and dies with English biscuits. Now, you and I both know that English, I mean, I, 
when it comes to I'm fine with them. I'm not, I'm okay. If I don't have an English biscuit for the rest of my life, I'm going to be, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be just fine. That is the correct answer. But what was great about pastry chef Paul A. Young, not to be confused with Paul Young every time I go away, I take a piece of me with you or you take a piece of whatever that that 80s song that Paul Young uh, hit the top 10 with. But Paul A. Young, um, it, it works so beautifully because this guy lives and dies for biscuits. He was offended if it didn't crack. I love when he bangs like a school marm. He bangs the Amar's biscuits. That's what it sounds like. Like he wasn't <laughs> He had no problem hurting the feelings of chefs who didn't conform to the challenge, who didn't, who tried to reinterpret as Tom did. And, I, and by the way, I also would say this to to the chefs. You know what else I loved? I love that there was a talented chef on the show who was like, I freaking hate biscuits. I hate dry cookies. Screw, Screw these guys. Yeah. I'm going to make a cake and call it a cloud. And if he doesn't like it, cheers. Right? Like <laughs> what, what made to me, yeah, I understand. And we, I, I, I wouldn't. If, if they revised the challenge and said, just make one biscuit, I'd be fine with it. I think you have great points here. But what made to me the quick fire challenge great was like they were afraid of the judge. Yep, the judge was completely super, like, <laughs> super silliest about like the primacy of the English biscuit, even though you and I both know English biscuits are league average. Like in terms of the European pastries, like England's way the hell down. I don't, I don't I know the British baking show. I know this is probably verboten to many um, Anglophiles, but it's just a fact. Um, but what was great is he had so much personality. He was so devoted to this craft of biscuit making. He had no problem just glaring down in that Yorkie accent. Just like, it was great. Um, and I just, I encourage Top Chef, like bring on more just fastidious judges who are going to be so protective of, of, the assignment at hand. And like, that's why it worked for me was he was a character. It wasn't just like, Hey, I'm a person from the top chef world and I'm really happy to be here. And I'm not going to say anything. What were your least favorite desserts today? Well, everyone did a great job. No, everyone didn't do a great job. Like Tom made a freaking cloud. Yeah. That, that's poor. Well, like, yeah. Yeah. I just think that when we're talking about um, the characters on this show and the judges, sometimes they're, they're kind of window dressing or they're just, they're just decorations on the wall. They they're there. You see them. They give their two cents and then they're off. This was an actual um, contributor to the program where it felt like they felt his gravitas. Obviously, visually, he's he's got some uh, he, he feel you can feel his presence. Right. And then he was what you your point about how he just loves lives and dies with the English biscuit. It reminds me of like if you had a bunch of like 10 of the best baseball players or baseball hitters of all time. And they had to compete to who is the most complete hitter of all time. And then here comes Earl Weaver. And he's like, I want you all to bunt for me. Give me the perfect bunt. Lay down the perfect bunt. And they're oh, wait, all Earl look- Weaver didn't, didn't believe in the bunt though. I'm, or, or Lou Pinella or, okay. uh, or Tommy Lasorda, whatever cantankerous baseball manager. Who's just, you're, you're kind of like shaking in your boots or in your cleats. Um, watching him as you're trying to lay down a bunt when you know that all you want to do is just mash it over the wall. It did feel like, uh, they were like, Oh man, I got to make a biscuit here and not an American biscuit. And you could see that even Sarah was like, I'm just going to do a, a very Southern version of this. But I loved what Tom did. I thought it was hilarious. He's obviously not going to do that in an elimination challenge, but in a quick fire where only upside, there's no downside to doing something like this. It felt, it felt like he had a religious or, 
or something spiritually against, like something in his loins would not let himself do a biscuit or a cookie that would snap. And I appreciate that. More power to Tom. I'm, I wish he was on my team. He's on your team, but I more power to him. Yeah, no. And, and that was, what was fun is, is there were, there were personality dynamics, um, in, in the challenge. And I, I just, I think it's great when there is a guest judge who just approaches it that way. Like they need to just kind of send the Paul A. Young reel to all future quick fire judges and say, Hey, act like that or, or act some variation of that, or, or just don't be afraid to kind of be authoritative. And it just made for such a fun thing. And I'm with you. Cause like the actual, like, again, I'm not terribly excited about this because there was nothing on that table that looked really good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in yeah. fact, I, I would say like Celia's, I mean, Celia is emerging to me as one of the great sources of comic relief of this season. Like you would serve anybody an anchovy cookie with parsley and shallots, by the way, did not land her on the bottom three. Um, yep. The bottom three were Tom for his cloud, which looked delicious. Gabri for his corn biscuit with kimchi, tomato and pickled celery. Um, and Victoire, uh, who, and by the way, another new MVP for me in, in, in top chef season 20 is Victoire. Like, in terms of sheer quotabilities, we don't bake in Congo. Finish your dish and you can die. Finish your dish and you can die. We will talk about her allergic reaction um, shortly. But um, Victoire, you know, didn't didn't cook with gluten, which is kind of the thing that kind of binds together and makes um, and coheres a, a biscuit. Um, her sablé uh, was not good. Um, and uh, yeah, so but it, it was just I, I, I was a huge fan of this challenge and it was nothing to do with the actual food on the table. It was just the way. Um, the drama. Unfolded. Yeah. W- what would you pay Kevin to get an uncut version of the quick fire with Paul A. Young, like Tom and Paul Young, what they really said to each other that we didn't get to air. Like what, like what kind of, like, I just want that director's cut of that quick fire. I feel like a lot more went down and Tom, if you're listening, uh, we'd love to hear more about Paul A. Young and Paul, if you're listening, come on the show. The invite is open. The door is open for you to come on and explain the uh, the virtues of an English biscuit. But that that was that was really special. Nicole, Ali, and Luciana with the top three of the uh, quick fire. Ali wins and gets immunity for his Zatar biscuit. Um, and he did a thing which was right up Paul A. Young's alley. He said, "I." My favorite thing to do is dunk, and it just feels weird to me that like in order to make biscuits. Uh, edible. You have to make it dunking into something. You have to put it in something to make it taste good. I just, I don't know. It just, it rubs me the wrong damning, way. Isn't it? Yeah. Right. Like, like that is incriminating unto itself. But um, what was actually interesting is, is Ali's win is, is to me interesting on a number of levels. You know, he'd had the Zatar biscuit, orange sabla of, of the biscuits. His was kind of, he didn't depart as much. He didn't slather on interesting ingredients or obscure ingredients, right. To the extent he did savory, it was just Zatar, which is just, a, you know, a lovely, urban spice blend um, from his part of the world. And it does seem like I think one of the themes and it came through it in the, in the elimination challenge as well is this is a big season for stay true to the challenge, stay true to the ingredient, highlight the actual ingredient and keep in that spirit of the challenge. Like I'm noticing that you know, even when food is good or creative, like, like they want a pure biscuit. They want you, they want the cheese forward in the cheese challenge, right? Like I think, I, that it has become kind of the criterion above which there is nothing else right now. And, and so like, it's not a coincidence that Ali wins for one of, of the 12 sets of biscuits on that, on that, on that judge's table, definitely one of the more pure, the one that is most recognizable as an English biscuit. Um, I thought Nicole's were beautiful too. And I, by the way, I love, I'm a, I'm a big pistachio and rose 
combo guy. I, mm. I like the sort of um, I like Middle Eastern dessert with those flavor profiles. Um, there's there's great Persian ice cream in Los Angeles, and like the pistachio rose flavor at one of these places is just incredible. Um, it is one of my favorite. And and Luciana though she she uh, obviously gets eliminated later. Um, I wasn't familiar with um, Saquilos. Uh, with Tonka Sequillos, bean. I, I was not, yep. Are you, are you're familiar though. You are, uh, you grew up in Brazil in part. I, I did not have those, uh, that, that's that I remember. Um, but pound of Keju is this like cheesy bread that you might have at like Folga mm. de Chão or something like that. That, that was the first thing I thought of was like that cheesy bread that they serve sometimes at Brazilian steakhouses and whatnot. Um, that's where my mind re- immediately went to. Cause when this challenge was presented, I was like, I wonder what Luciana is going to do. Maybe one of those, but no, um, it's not technically a biscuit. It's more like a bread. Um, and it's not a cloud. So Luciana, I, I had a, um, I checked her name off as someone who I thought would finish in the top three in this one. I also had begonia. Um, I thought they liked Buddha's, um, he did that, that black pepper taco thing with the prosciutto and then the raspberry mm-hmm. cream pie. Um, he, I don't know if it's a sense of he's holding things back, but it doesn't seem like Buddha is nailing his quick fires or his dishes as more, as much as I thought he might. Um, do you get the sense that he... I wouldn't say disappointing, but do you get the sense that he's not performing up to the same levels as you expected? I mean, I think his highs are still very high, and we saw that last week, right? Like we saw he and Luciano winning that. I mean, that, that was him, right? Yeah. And so on, on one hand, I would say, hey, when Buddha brings it, he is as good as anyone. I, I mean, those look like – I mean, one thing that Paul A. Young said was, you know, an afternoon tea presentation. Like, you know, yes. just – like, so clearly they were impressed. Um and hey, I mean, it, it seems like, again, I, I do that thing sometimes when even though there's 12 and we only know the bottom three and the top three, you can kind of guess who four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. He's close. Kind of yeah. Rough order. Yeah. So, so I, I, but, but yeah, he's, he's not dominating if, if that's the question. The question is, he is not, this is not a Voltaggio esque romp through the competition where you're just consistently placing. I mean, obviously they, you know, and we'll talk about the elimination challenge. Uh, he was, you know, the loser on the, on the first cheese challenge uh, um, or part of a losing team that was pretty, pretty stacked. Um, but yeah, he's, he's not dominating. And, you know, this was also a rough week for, uh, Begonia as well. Um, I, I think you and I, the way we have it appraised right now is, is that Buddha and Begonia are, are the two best chefs uh, in the competition though. Ali, I think at this point has a claim as well. I mean, he's just, he's a, he's a machine. Um, yeah. so, but you know, it was kind of an odd week in that respect. Like it was kind of an odd week where I think, you know, we do that thing where, if, you know, you saw the four and we'll get to the elimination in a second, but if you get to, if you looked at the four teams and, and handicapped them, I think, we were both shocked to see teams helmed by Bogonia and Buddha respectively end up in the losers bracket or in the relegation field. Um, so yeah, it, it is, this was a, this was a, if, if, if there's an argument that there's a lot of parody in season 20, if that is an argument, this would be exhibit a, right? This week was definitely exhibit a. Yeah. Um, in that. Let's talk quickly about this, this dinner party or this dinner that they had that you kind of had a little, they had the night off and before they go into the elimination challenge, they're sitting at the table um, and it seemed like we had our like first get to know the characters or get to see them interact in, in interact where it seemed like up until this point, I don't feel like we got a lot of this social like uh, let's go check out what they're they're making for dinner or we have a couple minutes to like just see them um, 
in their elements, just relaxing. And I really loved getting to know some of these characters in, in, in Chef Testin. So like, for example, Victoire's story about leaving Congo and going to Italy and facing the institutional racism that she experienced and the fact that she learned English four months ago and is going into this competition and Buddha, you know, raises a glass to her and everyone's just like in awe. Um, she's, she has command of seven languages. She's got a great sense of humor. And as we'll learn later, um, just a total badass in the kitchen where she has an allergy and she's just pushing through it. And it just seems like Victoire is really, um, shining through and has an incredible story. And I'm just happy we, we were able to see that. Um, and we got to learn about Begonia's living situation where she explains that, you know, she raises her son, uh, with her mother and with her ex-boyfriend and people kind of look at her strangely about that. Uh, but I don't know. I, I kind of like to get a little bit more texture and layers to these to the chef testants here. What did you think about that? Yeah, no, it, it, without question, and especially this season. I mean, I, I, I don't, um, I, I don't think you can overstate just the 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 amount of resilience it takes to survive two Congolese wars. I mean, the first one. I mean, it was like you know Kabila in the late nineties. Um, and, and then several years later, once he's in office, and then everything falls to shit. Um, and, and just like it is to be a woman to grow up in the Congo during that unrest to you know eventually land in northern Italy which, which is probably not a terribly hospitable place for a woman of of Congolese descent who who doesn't speak the language and, and is immigrating um and working in kitchens which are notoriously hostile um which is what much of the last 10 years is kind of reform or 5 years really been about in, in the restaurant movement is is, is astounding and I loved hearing her story. Um, and uh, it is, uh, yeah, it, it is, it, I, 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 you know, again, I, I don't, I think there are people who watch shows who find anything outside the area of competition to be sort of filler. Um, I don't. And, um, you know, for a woman who came from the DRC and, and just getting her story is, is, I, I loved hearing it. And it was a good story arc for like what was to come in the elimination challenge um, and the adversity that she faced in that. So let's get to the elimination challenge. We're at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Kevin, give me the scouting report. T talk to me about your experience and uh, what it was like for you to be there. All right. So it is amazing. And I, I never been to an English movie match. This is literally four or five weeks ago. Uh, I was taken by my niece, Maya, who is a original Pack Your Knives listener. Um, hey, Maya. In my in my in my estimation, um, cares deeply about two things: food and English football, particularly Tottenham. Um, my family are Tottenham season ticket holders in um, in, in London. So uh, I got to go to my first match. It was against Chelsea, which wow. was having a really rough year. It was just uh, it is a gorgeous stadium. Um, it is. I, 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 you have been to a lot of sports venues. I've been to a lot of sports venues. It is majestic. It is modern. It is efficient. Um, it is like one of those, Hey, there's 75,000 seats in here, but there are no bad seats. You know, we were upstairs kind of front row, kind of in the corner, but it was a great, 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 great seat. Uh, also very good food. You should know, like uh, Tom, you would mm. be very impressed with the vending. I mean, obviously uh, stadiums have come a long way around the world and, and it's gotten much uh, really improved in the last 10, 15 years. And as we know, the NBA has some great um, food arenas now, but this was great. And Maya is a particular fan of the Korean chicken and chips. Korean Ooh. fried chicken and chips is a very uh, delectable item. 
at, uh, at, at least uh, where we were sitting, in our, it's, it's the vin, that particular stand is right outside our seats. Um, now, I did not partake. Um, I, I was, uh, I had a previously, a, 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 <laughs> though I, I wasn't, yeah, it's pretty amazing for London. I actually had a, a good dinner the previous night. Um, but it is a, it is a wonderful, wonderful venue. And um, Tottenham is, you know, they, they might go overselling them and saying by one of the best teams in the league. Like I think, I think Tottenham fans in their, in their, um, in their, in their enduring torment would tell you, you know, they haven't won anything in, in, in ages, but yeah, it yeah. was uh, still a great venue. It's a gorgeous pitch. Um, I had a great time and I was just happy. I was, I was hoping there would be some English premier league um, pimpery in this season and, and we got it. And, uh, and I love that they chose Tottenham. Yeah. And, and they really l- leaned into the theme of soccer or football, what have you. I'm American, excuse me. And did the relegation tournament, this little bracket. Now we're in March madness with college hoops here in, 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 uh, in America. And then you also had this relegation system, which was true to the English premier league. I love this, the, the setup of, there's going to be brackets, four teams of three. You had to kind of choose your own team, the schoolyard, who's going to go with who. The teams were set up. Um, I wasn't too surprised with the breakdown, but it was interesting to me, Kevin, how nobody wanted to be on Ali's team. And I could not figure it out at the beginning when Charbel was like, I. I had to stay away from Ali. And I was like, is this like a Middle Eastern, North African like rivalry that I don't know about? Um, And then it occurred to me that Ali, of course, has immunity and therefore is kind of anchoring whatever team he has with that um, kind of uh, invincibility. So I think that was really cool. The the green team, Luciana, Gabri, and Begonia, they seem like a lock to be... Uh, just right. great chemistry that they, they love each other. They, they are all, you know, we have the Brazilian champ, the Mexican champ and the Spain cha- Spanish champ, all of that, um, lends itself to that was a, a very a predictable team. And, you know, when they, when they started divvying themselves up, I was like, Oh, that one, that one's going to do really well. And of course we'll get to that. And then the purple team is Charbel, Sarah and Sylvia red. So Charbel did avoid Ali Buddha did not avoid Ali, even though he did, he didn't want to have anything to do with him, but, um, he gets paired up with Tom as well. Team red Victoire, Amar and Nicole. I had it. I don't know how you had it, Kevin, but I had it as yellow team. Number one, even with Ali on it, I just felt like he, even though he's got uh, immunity, I thought that he's been so strong that it wouldn't matter. Um, then I had the green team with Begonia, Gabri and Luciana, um, I had in the second, a third position, Charbel, Sarah, and Sylvia, and then red Victoire, Victoire, Amar, and Nicole. And boy, was I wrong. It was, um, it was a strange curve on it. I'm trying to kind of get to, I was trying to think about like what happened and I don't know what happened. Um, I, I mean, the only theories I have for what happened is particularly in the first round, I, I, I think like, you know, Nicole, Victoire, and Amar made a full dish. And for whatever reason, yep. the Bogonia-Luciana team decided to go with almost a quick-fire-esque, hey, this is 45 minutes, let's do a quick-fire type dish, right? Yep. A poached egg with 
you know, pear and balsamic and, and, and the espuma and, you know, with the egg yolk made no right, sense to me, Kevin. What is that? Right. Begonia? Come on. Like the textures. It, Luciana came in and was like, no, no, this tastes like baby food to me, which gave me a good chuckle. And they didn't really fix it. It didn't right. it didn't work. Right. OK, let's throw some crumble in and there's our texture. Whereas, you know, I think. Uh, obviously the other team is like, we're going to do it. We're going to do a main. We are going to do roasted duck breast mm-hmm. and then do what you do with Stilton, which is if you pair it with great stone fruit or roasted fruit of any kind, get a little nut crumble in there um, with apologies to Victoire who had to take an EpiPen. Um, <laughs> I'm allergic to bee stings and I, I have done that. You just stab yourself in the thigh. That was, um, it, did it, you find it? We, I thought it was amazing that they showed it. Yeah. I love that like, they showed it. Like, like let's, oh, get, let's get behind God. the scenes. It's like, um, whoa, they're going to show this thing. And she took it like a champ. She was like oh, not even phased. Great. Oh, I yeah, love it. It's weird. It's not like, like, like you just have to stab yourself really hard. Or in this case, she yeah. is, you know, hopefully there's someone there to do it for you. Um, I was on a Portuguese hiking trail by myself. So it was like, ah, shit, I got to do this. And it's like, it was very weird to kind of stab yourself. But um, they, made a, they made a real dish. They yeah. made a real dish. And the green team decided not to. Uh, and then in the other division, you know, uh, the purple versus yellow. Um, you know what? It, it, that that was sort of I think cheese got lost, right? That was sort of the battle of the cheeses. Um, yeah. And though I was, it was very interesting because it kind of set us up for oh yes, cauliflower au gratin. How freaking obvious! You know, Tom had said something. Buddha said something. We caught on mic that like oh they're really glad they didn't do that. And um, but at the same time they didn't fully embrace the Winsleydale cheese thing. They did a puree over the braised onion. By the way. The second dish in four weeks where braised o- or an onion Big is fan. actually the centerpiece. We, uh, this is the year of the onion. This is not top chef. This is not top onion, Tom. It is top chef, but apparently it is top onion. And I was sort of impressed with the fact that they would do that. Is it, um, is, it, is, it, is it popular in like Jordan? So Ali and, and Charbel, Middle Eastern. Uh, I forget where Charbel's from, but I kind I of feel. Uh, Charbel's Lebanese. Lebanese. Okay. So, um, I love braised onions. I love caramelized onions. So the fact that they were they were doing it again with cheese, it was almost like a not a French onion soup, but you get the idea. And ah, I was a big big fan of this. So they didn't nail it because, as you said, it got swamped. The cheese got swamped. Whereas that was a strength on the other side. It was a four one uh, score. And I, Kevin, I was stunned that these two teams, red and purple, came away victorious. Yeah. I'm also always interesting, like on the Supreme Court, the, the one dissenting vote. Like, I would love to know um, from Padma kind of why she preferred that over uh, the other one, um, why she preferred the gold team. She was the one vote uh, for the gold team, the the, the onion uh, as centerpiece. But yeah, so it was unpredictable. And I, I think, you know, in the first one, it was, you know, some one team did a main, the other team didn't. And in the second, it was one team was really captured the cheese and the other, not so much, even though it looked really good. Um, you can totally see it's it's fun now. One of the things I love is that moment in the season where you really start to understand each chef's inclinations and habits. Like like Tom loves to kind of pickle components and add the acid that way. And you could see that. I mean, the braised onion dish looked great to me. I mean, yeah, it's I'm like, telling, yeah me too. Um, and so, so is that. But nonetheless, the cauliflower... Welsh rare, but probably without knowledge of knowing that there was a rare bit challenge in Tom, yeah. the Last Chance Kitchen, which you will get to later. Tom yeah. will do our LCK recap. So the relegation sets up a match between. Oh, ho- our hold two- on one second. I want to. Oh, I want to sure. hit on something real quick, Kevin. Um, which one would you rather cook with, Stilton or the Wensleydale? Dude, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I had. I mean, I I've heard. I've seen Wensleydale on list. I couldn't pick it out of a lineup. But like the like, mild cheese or you want like the, the strong I like, tail. It seems like it's still pretty strong, right? Okay. Like I don't, um, but I love Stilton. I love blue cheese of all kind. 
man. Yes. Like I give me I some mean, funk. Oh, blue cheese is wonderful. And um, it, it's also so great. I love it in salads. I mean, yes. It is, it is here's, truly. Here's the secret. For those who want, are watching their weight a little bit or don't want um, heavy fast food, secret menu, Wendy's apple pecan salad is so good. Wendy's apple pecan salad really? has some blue cheese. It's got some, um, it's got candied pecans in it. It's, it's so good. It's like every time I'm on a road trip and I'm feeling like, oh man, I, I just, I don't know if I can, this rock is going to sit in my stomach for the next five hours. Um, for those who haven't tried the apple pecan salad at Wendy's, it is a delight. I highly recommend you get a blue cheese a candied pecan salad with chick grilled chicken on top with a pomegranate vinaigrette on top. It's legit. Anyway. Hello listener. Guess who's back. It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about butcher box. Butcher box is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum sealed packaging, it's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Uh, second thing I want to ask you here, Victoire versus Nicole. Nicole says she's reformed. She used to be a little bit more domineering in the past and felt like, you know, she's mellowed out. She's matured. And she was giving a lot of tips to Victoire. And she did the thing where instead of just like asking Victoire to do something, she reached across and grabbed a knife and started cutting an onion, a red onion on Victoire's cutting board. And it seemed like to me that was too far. She crossed the line and Victoire's laughing about it. But man, that kind of felt like, oh, you don't, you don't, you don't go there. And Nicole had a moment, a little moment where she went back to her old ways. Nicole did do very well in the, uh, in the quick fire, did very well in this challenge, but I can see that she's got, um, some Buddha in her, you know, the idea of she's, um, she's a little bit more forceful in her, in her, Chemistry, I guess you should say. Yeah, I think one of the rules of middle age is your your personality traits are sort of set. You can moderate them. You can work on them. But I imagine that like the intensity of Top Chef competition pretty much just activates them no matter yeah. how much you think you are not 
the same person you were 15 years ago. Um, and Nicole is one of our more middle-aged uh, contestants. I, I, I think that's what's going on. And by the way, I, I'm very fond of Nicole and I'm, I'm feeling very good about that pick. You know, she's, she, you know, there's been so much team competition. It's been really hard to gauge just like who are the true, true, true standouts other than we obviously came with knowledge of Buddha and Begonia just kind of wowed us at the beginning and her credentials and everything. But I think Nicole has kind of been one of the most consistent chefs so far in the competition. Yep. But yeah, she clearly like, yeah, she's clearly got that dominant. And, and again, I, it, it's probably not as, and again, I, I do think that there's something that has happened in the restaurant industry where there wasn't a certain and I don't want to suggest that she was, you know, ever in the realm of somebody who's unacceptable conduct in the kitchen. But like, I do think everyone has kind of toned down yep. the the domineering, uh, anything that might be sort of interpreted as a is disrespect or whatever. And I, I do think that has been muted somewhat. But yeah, she's still who she is. I mean, and I don't know. I mean, my my question when I see these conflicts in the kitchen is like, was she right? You know, we saw Buddha and like clearly Buddha has a reputation. We saw, you know, there've been some side comments and various testimonials. Well, Buddha likes to do the way, you know, but the bottom line is, was he right? Like we saw it with Luciana last week. You know, he was sort of very dismissive of her. He mints no words like this is they're not going to like this. This isn't good. It needs to be done again. And was he right is the question. So um, there is sort of substance and then manner. And yeah, she's got some... She's rough around the edges, but uh, I'm kind of I'm feeling Nicole right now. I think yeah. she's pretty damn good. So the the losers bracket um, we'll talk about in a sec. But did you get a sense in our scoring system? We have ten points to the winning chef of an elimination challenge. I didn't get the sense here that there was a particularly winning team. If you go by deficit, the uh, red team swept their matchup against green five zero and then the purple team went up four one decisively i didn't get a sense that there was a standout chef or a standout team so i kind of gave all of the top six here um three from each team five points what do, what do you think about that yeah i, I think i think you kind of nailed it like there's always the danger if i mean we wouldn't want to give six people what you would give for an individual elimination win. On the other hand, you do need to reward the fact that they were there. And it is, look, this has been one of the more interesting parts of the season. I feel like they have relied more on team competition than typically. Um, they, they typically do. Uh, just the last two alone are both, like we've not had individual elimination challenges in a while. And, um, but I, I think that sounds fair, Tom. Like five would be sort of some, would be, that's essentially what you reward, as you said, for a, for a top three finish. And that seems about right. You can't give anybody 10 points unless we knew decisively that they were the catalyst uh, in the winning dish, but um, it's hard to kind of glean what happened there. But I, yeah. I, I'm comfortable. If you're comfortable, I'm comfortable with that. Um, okay. I, I, I like your proposal a lot. So we'll stay with that. So for those listening, uh, no 10 point winner here because there was no winner, uh, quote unquote, in the truest sense, in the spirit of the scoring system. All of the winning teams here in this round got five points each. Um, so that's Victoire, Amar, Nicole, Charbel, Sarah, Sylvia, Sarah and Sylvia, they did a, and Charbel, they did a good job, I think of giving feedback. So I guess the, the sauce was not seasoned enough and Sarah pushed back on it and wanted to have more seasoning, um, and more flavor in there. So it didn't seem like they were all, they were perfect, that it was as smooth as maybe some other, uh, teams, but as we'll see in the next round here, Kevin, just because they work smoothly and efficiently and quietly and confidently doesn't necessarily mean that they had a very flavorful dish. When we were looking at Ali, Buddha, 
Um, and, uh, and Tom on the previous one, it seemed like they were just humming along and that the, everyone knew their roles and that they were just going to knock this out of the park, but it didn't seem like that was, uh, necessarily a harbinger for success on that last round. They did better with their apple tart, but you could clearly see Buddha once again has asserted himself as the alpha, as the, as the executive chef on these teams. And while I think that's good, if that is in your personality and let that breathe through, I wonder how much longer that's going to last where someone like Ali or Tom are going to, um, you know, feel like they're being delegated to a sous chef role and whether that's going to come back to haunt Buddha. But look, he won this won this round five zero, so I can't knock it because it worked. It worked. Yeah, I thought the most interesting decision was going with dessert to begin with, because that that is fraught with risk, right? They they decided that Bramley apple, really sour apple that's native to the to England and very popular. You know, what do you do? And I think to choose dessert, which was actually particularly surprising, because it does seem like, you know, I, I don't know that actually. Actually, I shouldn't say this. I was about to say that you know Tom has an aversion to dessert. No, I think he just has an aversion to biscuits because that cake actually looked quite good, the cloud cake. But it is a big, big decision. I mean, I mean, I was very concerned. Like, I was like, they could be going down. Like, they're doing dessert. Mm-hmm. Like, dessert has not typically been always a winning decision unless you are a pastry chef. There's a reason that when you go to these nice restaurants, pastry chef is written as like a separate position. And it is truly kind of cordoned off from the rest of the operation. Like, pastry chef comes in, does the three desserts that you see at the bottom of the menu, and it's a self-contained process. And so I just was kind of floored by that. Like they didn't go with, oh, because you can imagine a pork dish with some nice apple. It's a very good compliment. You always see like a pork tenderloin with, you know, the the apple accompaniment. And they decided, no, we're going to go with dessert. But he clearly had a vision. And I do think that there was also, on the other hand, I think it was a really good decision because it was the single best way to highlight the apple. Because by definition, if you're doing a savory, the apple is going to be just an accompaniment, right? It's just going to be a component of a larger yeah. dish, which highlights a protein, right? Like how much apple can you truly get in a savory dish? Um, the answer is some, but in a dessert, all of a sudden the apple becomes the star of the show. And so what first gave me great anxiety on their behalf was sort of like, ah, I see what they're doing. And like, it was a very smart decision. So they go with this Bramley apple tart, caramelized apple, nut crumble, creme and glaze, um, to kind of you know, keep it in sort of, I mean, literally English cream. And I think it worked well, whereas green got muddled, right? Like it was conceptually, and this might be the one pitfall of Begonia, who I'm still just is my favorite chef of the season and is so high concept. And so she's so creative. And I mean, I, I think she's a brilliant mad scientist. But, you know, the crab apple cannelloni, like, what are you getting there? Um and it was kind of a messy dish. It just yep. was a messy dish. Apple mayo. Uh, I mean, so I, I don't I'm actually kind of dying to know what apple mayo is. She, she referred to it as a sauce. Is it like, was it like an aioli? But it just, everything got muddled. The, 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 the apple wasn't highlighted to the extent it was. It was brown. That's the problem when you cut like apples and pears too early. They, get, they can turn really mealy or, or really just brown really quickly. And so... It turned out that the let's risk everything and go with dessert ended up being a 5-0 unanimous decision, positive decision. Yeah, I, I thought it looked like almost like an enchilada. Like that's the first thought I 
had when I saw that they were putting that sauce on top of it to hide, to mask that they overcooked and burnt the, the apple. Um, and so, yeah, it was a cannelloni, but I didn't, didn't nail that dish. And obviously they didn't, they didn't win. So they get moved to the bottom, which is, oh, the, the nice twist, the plot twist for this show is that be careful what you wish for being on the same team as your pals. Cause you might have to slice their throat and send them home. Um, and here's where Gabri, Bogonia, and Luciana are going and realizing one of them is on the chopping block and you know, they are exhausted. Kevin, this, this, I know why they didn't do like a winner's bracket where we get to see who won the challenge. Cause it's just time constraints, but I really felt for these three chefs, just, they looked exhausted trying to do another round of food right back to back after, after just losing to Ali, but Buddha and Tom, uh, they just looked like they were melting to the floor. Yeah. And I love when top chef kind of inserts like endurance as one of the necessary ingredients to getting through the week. Like I do, I, I do love these challenges, not just cause we get to see, you know, so many different competitions. I mean, we basically got to see what, you know, essentially four competitions in 25 minutes, which is just yeah. a good ratio of action to preparation. And so that's awesome. But I also love it because it really does test the metal. I mean, um, I top chef to me is great when it's a, it's it, when it's a test of endurance. And this was totally why English peas. I love English peas. Do you? Uh, I was oh, glad to see. Okay. I do. I do. I do. I love, um, like it's just such a great, it's actually great with fish. I was actually shocked that nobody, well, actually, no, I, I shouldn't say that. Uh, the, the, the salmon carpaccio or sorry, scallop carpaccio scallop, such an interesting kind of, it's, it's, it's a sweet, seafood it's 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 kind of a different ball game but i was um i was, I was a little disappointed in that choice it's it seemed like that that the Easy. the english pea was like the garnish rather than the star and the other two dishes it yeah. felt like the the english pea was the star no you started coming out doing it and i have sort of a I, you know this was actually one of those you know one of the things we always and there's nothing absolutely zero that can be done because about this is you know the, the only downside to me of a food competition series is ultimately you can never taste the food, right? Like, like we can sit here and argue about who had the best dish or who had the best idea or who seemed to have the best prep um, or understand the challenge the most. But at the end of the day, unlike a project runway where you can see the outfit, um, we just can never taste. So this was like one of those cases where I really wanted to taste all three of those dishes. A, because I mean, I, I don't know if this was your interpretation, but it seemed like a really close battle. Like, like, you know, Luciana could very well have been the winner if you did it purely on how well did you prepare yes. and cook the peas, right? Like she clearly was superior to Begonia and Gabrielle on that account. Um, and so it was, it was one of those where I really wanted to taste just so, not, not because, oh, it just looks so delicious, but because like, I, I honestly, I'd like to know what, what we're considering here because it seemed like so much of the debate was surrounding issues like we couldn't as viewers really speak to. But to me, I, I think Luciana's downfall was this, like, and you kind of saw it, which was a what you said, which is the P was less prominent in her dish than other dishes. But B, but like, like when you're doing a like, have you are you a fan of yakiniku sauce? What what often is referred to as Japanese barbecue sauce? Yes, like yes, it's delicious. And in yes. fact, I, have you seen in the grocery store the the I think it's called Bachan brand. It looks like just kind of a fast food like squirt bottle of, and it says Japanese barbecue sauce. This is one of my favorite mass produced products on the market right now. Um, they actually have a yuzu flavor barbecue sauce, Ooh. like Japanese barbecue sauce is delicious, but it's totally going to overwhelm. That's it's what so I was going to say that right? like, again, the star of the dish has to be the English pea. And just as Paul A. Young says, you got to read the brief. I don't know if she um, really read the brief here. 
and you kind of saw it coming, right? That that was going to, the peas were going to be lost in this delicious sauce. Um, um, and it looked, it's disappointing because, um, you know, the pea velouté looked great. I mean, we, I think you and I both are huge fans of scar- scallop carpaccio yep. and raw scallop is such a great canvas for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was disappointing. I mean, I, I did kind of, and I don't know about you, I, I, I looked at Begonia's dish and was like, she ain't going home. Yeah. Right? Oh she, yeah. 100%. I was like, you do, you do peas three ways. You fry them. It, it was, it was like, oh, she's not going You make a meringue home. from the pea water. Like you make something that's silky and good looking. You know, I was worried about Gabri, um, his peas and beets, but yeah. that pea mint tweel look, um, he's got, a, you know, he is very good at the tweel kind of, uh, he, he, t- he does just enough bell and whistling to kind of get his food to elevate to the elevated category, which I do think as much as they might feign to, you know, they, they wouldn't deign to admit it. I do think that like Tom is very taken by that. I know that Gail is right. Like yeah. they are, they can be persuaded with novelty. And Ledley, and, the, the, the soccer player seemed to love it. He was obsessed yeah. with that dish. Um, and that goes a long way when you're the guest, guest judge. And I, I would have said that Gabri would have been the long shot here to hang on next to Luciana and Begonia, but he's Kevin, if you look at just points, like he's probably the most, uh, bang for your buck pick of the season. He was the last pick of our draft and he's He's done very well. And not, not to say that he's getting any points in this competition, in this elimination challenge, because he was in the bottom three. But um, I think he has got to be the biggest surprise this season that he keeps delivering um, and holding off Begonia and Luciana and staying on. Really impressive. I'm impressed. I got to say. Yeah, it's such a, you know, I was look, sorry, I'm looking at the scoring sheet and it is such a weird season because here we are and the bottom fantasy total numbers for surviving chefs right now are Tom, who I feel like hasn't made really an error other than telling a pastry chef to screw off. Right. Like I'm not going to do this. Um, Sylvia, which makes sense. Um, the potato lady. Um, but then we have Amar who I feel like hasn't like laid an egg or anything. And then of, of all people, Begonia only has seven fantasy total points right now. And yet, She's one of my two favorite chefs, and I think she's the second, like, one of the two most talented chefs in the competition. So it is very strange. Like, I, like there is this confirmation, this sort of misperception that I'm kind of suffering from where it's like, oh, yeah, Tom's just killing it, right? He's killing it. And then it's like, I look up, it's like, he's got seven points. That's nothing. Yeah. Or Begonia, wow, she's just transcendent. Oh, she's got seven points. That's nothing. Meanwhile, you know, it's like Nicole's bouncing along with 11. You know, Ali's at 15. I mean, he's clearly, like, if anyone has a claim to being one of the two most capable chefs on the competition it's 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 ali without question um he's just a force and even victoire who i think we have in sort of second division land you know she's got nine i mean it's 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 a very strange standing sheet right now yeah i think um a a couple things on that is i i think with the prevalence of the team challenges it kind of lends itself to flattening the the score a little bit. If the every everything was just you're gonna cook this dish, you're in an individual. There's no collaboration. Maybe we would see some sort of like, like some sort of like uh, cream rising to the top. But on this in this season, we're not really getting uh, the the 73 win Warriors in this competition. It's just not hasn't happened. They haven't separated themselves yet. And Gabriel's really. Uh, 
I gotta say he's, he's fun to watch. Um, he kind of seems like he doesn't know really what he's doing half the time. And then he puts together a really great dish. And, uh, so look, when we talk about what we want to see in world all-stars London, there are performing at a high level. We're getting some good characters here. And unfortunately, um, the Brasileiro, uh, Brasileira is no longer with us on the elimination challenge. She gets uh, sent home without the, you know, the star being presented, the, the English P not being presented as the star of the dish. She goes home. They said it was a little bit flat. Um, but I look, I'm not, I'm not happy to see her go home, but I think it was the, the weakest dish of the three. And if it was a different challenge, a different brief, as Paul would say, uh, maybe she would hang on. But like you said, um, you know, this was very thin margins to go home and she, she ended up having to go to last chance kitchen. Yeah, there is. And again, parody is a theme we talk about a lot, but there is as much as I continue to want to tear the comp, the, the field here. There's just too much parody to possibly make sense of anything right now. I mean, and we saw it again this week. I am, though, very eager to see some individual um, quick fires, or rather individual elimination challenges. Again, I love, I think the show's done an amazing job this season setting up competitions. To your point, I think the longer episodes allow for it. But I am, I want now to see some tete-a-tete. I do want to see an elimination, a couple elimination challenges where it's not necessarily teamwork. Then again, here I am also praising the fact that I do think they've been able to achieve more interesting personal dynamics. Um, It's a balance. Yeah. Right. You know, team competition is the best way to do that. So, you know, I'm probably being overly demanding and saying, Hey, I want individual. uh, And yet I do appreciate that the team competitions have introduced more interpersonal dynamics, which are just more interesting to watch. I mean, I, you know, it's funny. I, I don't, I'm not looking, and we've had this debate much of the last three or four seasons. I, I don't need manufactured villains or just people yelling at each other, but I do think it is a competition show and you want to feel the stakes. You want to feel the frustration of not succeeding to your, to your high expectations. And I think the show's done a really great job right now. Couple things here, Buddha. Uh, glad to see your dog's doing okay. Um, oh yeah, we didn't talk. By the way, how amazing is that? Like he spent much of his winnings on eye surgery for his for his dog. That's little, amazing. Little bug. That's a. It's adorable. I love that. Um, you know, we don't we don't often get to hear like a after Top Chef. Uh, the before and after, what did you put your money towards? And a nice little heartwarming story about that. Um, I also wanted to make note of, um, Sarah. Uh, I don't think I did that where I smoked cigs and smoked weed, got a little stone and then went to soccer practice afterwards. But I love that detail. And I, I may have been jealous of the, of my high school friends who did that after school. Um, that, that seemed like, uh, a perfect little vignette into Sarah's her story. So I, I don't know about you, Kevin, but no, I, I, I did all that, but I didn't play soccer. That, <laughs> then, I, then I went home and watched the Jeffersons. Like that's, that was sort of my thing. What, um, by the way, I think Sarah's having a nice season, and um, I, I think she's consistently. You can see her presence on the teams that are yeah. that are more successful. Uh, I loved her quick fire. Uh, interpretation, like, look, I'm just going to do a Southern, you want a biscuit? I'll give you your biscuit, but I will maintain mm-hmm. the, 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 the glory of my biscuit and pimento cheese, by the way, is still one of the great substances ever invented uh, by man or woman. There's, um, n- there's never it, a half eaten bowl of pimento cheese. It's always just full and then gone. That's it. It like before you blink, it's gone. 
Yes. Uh, and I, I wish more Delta Sky Clubs, if there is any Delta rep listening. Um, you have pimento cheese in some Sky Clubs. <laughs> I would like pimento cheese in all Sky yes. Clubs. Thank you. That is, it, You are the CEO of Delta tomorrow, and that is the first action item on your list. Yes. Um, yeah, Ed Bastian, get it together, man. <laughs> give, me, give, me, give me pimento cheese in every Delta Sky Club. Tom, any closing thoughts? Well, let's get to, let's get to the real quick Last Chance Kitchen. Oh yeah, I, that, that'll be your closing thought. Yes. Okay. Last chance. It's 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 going, man. It's happening. It's happening. Um, it's a great. The Welsh rare bit uh, pub toast with the cheesy beer sauce. Uh, the most unappetizing dish. It looks just like sad French toast. Um, and apparently it's delicious. Uh, lots of dad jokes. You know what? I actually like. Uh, what was it? The uh, the dad joke in the elimination challenge. I think Charbel might have said it. it was like, go green and go green team because you're doing apples, which are green and you're the green team. And then the camera pans to Tom, who's just giggling in delight because of the stupid dad joke that Charbel just delivered. And we get more of that um, on the on the last chance kitchen where Gail makes a surprise cameo because her husband proposed over a plate of Welsh rarebit. Kevin, I love this. A little bit of romance, a little bit of, uh, you know, a, a heartwarming tale of two lovebirds enjoying the, the matrimony or the futures together and tying the knot and committing to one another over a plate of cheesy bread, cheesy, soggy bread. So we yeah, got, I, I mean, yeah, and, and bless Gail, uh, my, 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 one of my favorite people. Uh, <laughs> oh. But I, I do like it is. She is Canadian, and I and, I, and one of the things I, I I've noted about Canada is they have a greater appreciation for bad British food than um, the survivors of of American colony. <laughs> um, and, uh, and and I was it is one of the most confounding and endearing and ridiculous things I've ever heard is that that Welsh rarebit <laughs> is this is this is this food that is I, I don't know I'm, I'm trying to think of what mine would be. Uh, I mean, I do love a Lunchable, but but that's probably it's just like the, a plate of nachos. It's like it's yeah. it just seems like a pub it, food that uh, that. Oh, this is when I'm going to start to I'm going to propose. I'm going to get down on one knee and propose to my wife. It's like, OK, here we go. I got so a plate Tom, of nachos. Yeah. What happened to Dawn this season? Yeah, the the kimchi uh, with the cheddar, it didn't hit, um, I think. I don't know. It didn't seem like she had a lot of confidence and maybe that's just, um, the result. And I'm looking backwards, but it seemed like she was a little, and, and I sympathize with this. It's not like just because you're on TV or just because you're on one of the top shows in America, um, for your craft doesn't necessarily mean that you come in with any self doubt without any self doubt. And to me, um, the time management issues did creep up a little bit in this season, uh, but she didn't nail it. And this was a three person last chance kitchen with Dale, um, May and Dawn, three of your chef testants on your squad going head to head to head and poor, um, Samwell had to sit there lonely in his chair of shame, um, in that peanut gallery and Dawn is joining him. Um, it just, I, I don't know what happened with Dawn, but, um, I thought that this competition being like kind of an Olympics of chefs. I felt like she had a little bit more experience here and felt like she was coming in with a lot more um, body of work and that she would be able to rise to the challenge. But you know what? 
this, there's just a lot of good chefs here, Kevin and May and Dale, as you know, they're super strong. So maybe just her exit isn't necessarily a product of her, um, so much as it is just a product of the competition. You know, from a narrative standpoint, it's always nice to see a uh, last chance kitchen chef kind of correct their fatal, their fatal flaw. And, and for Dale, he, his interp, he had a non-interpretation of, of, of the scotch egg that was kind of risk averse and boring and wussy-ish. And in Last Chance Kitchen, he really kind of reinvented the rare well. So he went in the other direction and yeah. was rewarded for it. So that I was thought nice. it was I always too like to much. I thought it was going to actually hurt him, Kevin. I thought he was actually not going to the script on this one as much. And I thought that might've hurt him um, because it seemed like Don and may did a little bit more straightforward version of the Welsh rare bit. Uh, but he did a rabbit. And actually when the rare bit came on the screen, the first time I was like, is that a typo? Did they, do they mean rabbit? But no, it was a rare bit and he did the rabbit. Um, it didn't make total sense to me how it was a deconstructed or a creative interpretation, but that was, um, that was a really great dish according to Tom and Gail. Um, real closing thoughts. Um, wow. Uh, I think this, we're, we're gonna, there, there was a little preview into the next episode at the end of this one. And, uh, it seems like there's a lot more drama that's going to happen in the next episode. Um, and not to say that this hasn't had drama. We just had someone get stabbed with an EpiPen and still win the, the challenge. But I think, um, this is, this has been a really strong season and I got to say, like in terms of storyline, we're, we're seeing this in the NBA right now where the landscape is very flat and we don't have the magic versus Larry or the LeBron versus Steph, the two teams that are clearly going to meet in the finals. I would have said it was clear from the beginning that Begonia and Buddha are destined for a heavyweight heavyweight battle at the end of this, but it is flat, man, Kevin, like it is, it is. I, I can't tell you if like Tom could win this whole thing. Sarah could win this whole thing. I think it's pretty open. It is open. Much parody. This is a great season. Uh, good job for Tom Haberstroh. This is Kevin Arnovitz, and this is Pack Your Knives. Your Knives.